I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Well, I have someone I've known for, I have, I can't even remember how many years But I am so, so excited to have Lee Zeitz here. Lee, thank you so much. Why, thanks. It's really an honor to to, to talk with you here, Barbara. Well, Lee, I, or Dr. Z, I guess we should say. That's what they call me, yeah. That's what they call you. I love it. There's so much I just learned about you. Even though I've known you, I think, 20-some years, we've been talking, and I've learned so much more that I said I had to get you on my podcast. (laughs) And so... Oh, thank you. So why don't I tell a little bit about you uh, first? And so, because I always like to just boast a little bit. So Dr. Lee Zeitz, or Dr. Z, is an associate professor, instructional technology and coordinator for the Instructional Technology Division at the University of Northern Iowa College of Education. Boy, that was a lot to say. That's a a mouthful, isn't it? He has had the opportunity to teach all grade levels from 1st through 12th in public, private, and prison schools. Now, that's new. I didn't know that. Well, they let me out after a little while so I could, I could do, do some more teaching. <laughs> all right. We're going to talk about that, too. And he has a sense of humor also. Okay. Over his 43 years of teaching, and that's a long time, but you know what? It, it, you're still young. You're still young at heart, and I can't wait to tell him all the things you're doing. He has developed a vision of education, which involves challenging and empowering learners by providing a learning environment that is teacher-guided and student-driven. Dr. Z has been an active member of ISTE for over 30 years, and in 2018, he was awarded the U.S. President's Volunteer Service Award for his work. Wow! (laughs) Congratulations! I've, I've actually... I think I've gone to like 27 or 28 ISTEs. Wow. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because they just keep adding up. I, I take a look at all the, I've done over 200 presentations around the world. And it's just one of those things that just kind of adds up. Oh, wow. I think I've done a lot, but not that much. But I'll just have to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always like to start with people getting to know you and your background. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your life when you were a little kid. I, I actually grew up in Southern California, and I was born in beautiful downtown Burbank, right across the street from Walt Disney Studios. And then uh, we moved to a place called La Cañada, which is just um, west of Pasadena, where you know the Rose Parade is and all that sort of thing. And I went through uh, kindergarten all the way to 12th grade there, and I uh, it was it was quite good. I mean, I, I really, I had a good, um, great family life. I had a brother and a sister. And I must admit that I lived in a tree for a lot of my time. And that was, well, here's the thing. When I, I don't know if there's any kind of uh, analogy here or anything, but I think when I was about five years old, I was looking at this tree and I thought, you know, I'd really like to be at the top of that tree. And I said, but what I need is a ladder. So I went over and got a hammer and some nails and some pieces of wood and just started building this ladder until I got to the top of the tree. And then I built a, a treehouse up there. It wasn't big. It was just like one, one maybe it was three by three or something like that. And I remember sitting up there with my um, two, what was it? It was called uh, a two transistor radio that my grandmother had given me, <laughs> which you couldn't hear unless it was a brand new um, battery. And so I'd hang out up there 
and then um, I later on I, I found that our eucalyptus trees in the back. I found a place where a, a branch had broken down, and I got this big gate that we had re, were replacing, and I, I used that for the floor, and ultimately created a um, an eight story uh, split level treehouse complete with bat pole and slide and it, it was it was kind of fun but that was where i really enjoyed exploring and trying new things and and you know we had two rules one was you can't use new wood and the other one is you can't have any adults help you wow so that, that's kind of how i got started how, what age were you oh probably eight through 13 14 because and it was neat it was just a place where i could go and i could be by myself or or with my friends wow you don't happen to have any pictures of that you know, there's one picture and I can't find it, um, but I, I wish I did, but I, I don't have anything oh, like that. Oh, that is, I, but it's in your mind. At least you know yes, it's Yes, exactly. So um, what was it like for you to be a student? I mean, you're so different and unique and, you know, I was kind of a misfit. So I, I wonder how that was for you. Well, I was 100 pounds in first grade. And so when people would call me fat, so I'd punch them out, you know, and of course, the question is, who's bullying there, right? And, uh, but I mean, the thing was, I, I was relatively intelligent and I, you know, I did, did well in school, but I remember when I was in fifth grade, I thought, you know, enough of this. I'm, I'm just going to work on social stuff now. So my grades dropped a little bit, and, uh, but things went well in, in elementary school. Um, I remember going to middle school. There I was in an operetta where I was uh, the father in Hansel and Gretel. Uh, oh, I was in speech and choir and a number of things there. Classes were good. Um, I, I did relatively well in them. Uh, when I got into high school, I got into football. Now, I must admit that I started this football team because I was large and uh, didn't know which way was offense or defense. But I, I, after four years, I, I, I turned out pretty well. And um, going through there, I was in Latin club and I was in speech club. And in my senior year, I, I discovered drama. And I just had a wonderful time there. I, I was in a couple of the school plays. I, I was uh, Br'er Bear in uh, Tar Baby that we did there, which was one. It was a completely impromptu process. It was a lot of fun. I, I guess, you know, one of the things was that I liked working with other people. You know, and, and helping them out on, pro, you know, in doing things. Maybe that's the basis of my teaching and, and that sort of thing. But it was something where I was always working, trying to, to help other people become uh, better at whatever they're doing. Oh, that's, well, that's who you are. That's how I know you. Yeah. That's funny that that's what you said now and that you were then. So you have a family. Any, you want to just tell me a little bit about your family and where you're living now? Absolutely. Um, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Kathy. And we've been married for 38 years. Um, believe it or not, we met in a, a marine biology class <laughs> many, many years ago. And um, then we have three sons, Wes, who's 39, uh, 37 now, and Jeff, who's 35, and Chris, who's 33. And uh, they're all over the place. Uh, we have two, pe two of them live in, in Iowa, and one lives in, in New York. And then um, Chris has, has blessed us with two wonderful grandkids. And, you know, grandkids, if I knew grandkids were this much fun, I, I would have had them first. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> um, but so we've got two wonderful grandkids, uh, grandsons who are six and eight, and they're just, they're wonderful. They're in, incredibly intelligent, uh, innovative, talented. It's just, it's great to have them around. In fact, we have them around a lot. Isn't that funny? I know I'm a grandparent and I'm a, 
You're, I never, no one's ever said you could that to me about, wouldn't it be great if we were grandparents first? But you see, we, we were different when your parents, you're so darn responsible and you want them to be just a certain way. Whereas grandparents, I just spoil my granddaughter like crazy. That's all I do. <laughs> that sounds wonderful that you have, are they, so two of your sons are close. You said they live. Right. Yeah. They're, they're in Iowa. That's pretty and cool. And then one, one of them is over in New York. But, you know, we use digital communication to keep in touch and that sort of thing. Isn't that great that you can do that? That's it the is. best way. It is. It's a great way to connect. So how did you become a teacher? What was the, you know, what inspired you? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, this, this, this sounds funny, but I, I can never remember a time when I didn't want to be a teacher. And I know that I was kind of looking back and I know that I, you know, in high school, we went over to Pasadena once a week and did uh, reading um, instruction or reading tutoring. As, as you know, I've got magic in my background and being a magician. And well, there we're going to talk years, about that later. Okay. There were a couple of years where I, I was doing um, magic classes at a local youth organization, you know, and we did that. I don't know. It's, it's always been something I've wanted to do, you know, and I, I just, I think it's part of my personality. Now, the interesting thing is that when I was going to college, I was going to go to college, and uh, I was going to go to Santa Barbara. And by the time I got started there, or I was, I was getting things set up, uh, my dad said, you need to be a lawyer. And he, you know, at, finally convinced me that I should be a lawyer and I should major in economics, which was a big mistake. I flunked out of my first class in my first semester there. I flunked, you know, I, I had a terrible time doing that. But while I was doing that, I learned about um, a Dr. Premack at University of California, Santa Barbara, who was working with talking chimps. And I found out about this and I went over and I volunteered with them and I, I was working with them. It was great. I mean, they, they had like a, a written language, which were plastic pieces that they put on a magnetic, on a magnetic board. And um, this was... This was incredible. I love this. I mean, this is what I really like to do. And so when I was trying to figure out what to do, um, I went over to the employee employment center, and they were going to help direct me as to what I should be doing. And I took an interest test, and it turned out that there were three things I should be. Num number one, I should be an elementary school teacher. Number two, I should be a jazz player. And number three, I should be a podiatrist, which I had to look up because I didn't realize it was a foot doctor. <laughs> But it turned out that it was in my genes, you know. And so what I did is I transferred over to developmental psychology and finished up and got A's and that sort of learned a lot and that sort of thing. And then got my credential in California and then went off to teach. Now, that is an interesting, because you learned that by, how do you, it's just a whole different way. Well, what, what, what it was, was I, I mean, this was like my first semester there. And these chimps, you know, it was just the whole idea of being able to, communicate with animals yeah. was something that was just completely unique. Now, you, you've seen it where they use American Sign Language and that mm -hmm, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But this is something where they're, um, they were actually creating, and they, they had syntax and semantics and all that. I actually worked with an orangutan, and a little baby orangutan that we helped, helped grow. But it was, you know, it was something where I was really working with another individual. You know, and they, I was, we were working and I was, I guess, teaching them or help, actually helping create an environment where they could learn. And that turned, turned me on. So, you know, I, I realized that's what I really, in fact, for a while there, I really wanted to be, uh, you know, a person who worked with talking chimps the rest of my life. <laughs> but then I decided to work with kids and I think that's a step up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they talk back. <laughs> they do. They do. Oh, well, you've had a lot of experience, and I'm going to actually put the list of schools and everything you did in the blog post that goes with this. But is there anything that stands out about some of the your teaching experiences? Well, uh, I mean, I started out teaching first grade, and then I went up and I taught fifth grade, and uh, and then I taught a number of grades in between um, in summer school and that sort of thing. When I got into the prisons and I started teaching at Malibu, uh, a probation camp in Malibu, that was a really unique situation because when, when you take a look at it, I, you, you've seen what a, um, a, a portable classroom looks like. Yeah. Well, take that and split it in half and put 17 guys in there between the ages of 13 to 17 who are all from different gangs and would probably kill each other on the outs. Wow. And so what I needed to do was build a learning environment that was um, reinforcing, that was rewarding. And so what I did was I had students in there that were ranging all the way from I need to learn my addition tables all the way up to calculus. And so this was in the early 80s. And so we didn't have computers or anything. So I actually created a whole individualized learning system based upon the the written materials that we had the books and things like that testing them pre-testing them and and kind of working that out so that worked well and then for the science we we i actually was able to take them down to um griffith park observatory and uh, they got to see a laserium show and some of them live five miles from there but they'd never even heard of it and so I got him involved in that. So once again, it was the idea of providing new opportunities and learning opportunities for people. And it was, it was pretty exciting. Then I, I went into book publishing for a little bit, and that didn't work out so well. So I went back into uh, teaching, and I got into dropout recovery. And this was a situation where students didn't really make, make it in the comprehensive classroom. And so what they would do is that they would leave the classroom. Many times it was because they were too smart. Um, often it was because they had child care problems, parent care problems, gang problems, whatever it might be. And they came to me for an hour a week and did 20 hours of homework. Nowadays, we do all that online. But I had great opportunities in, in doing that. In fact, one project, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested in global collaboration. And one project that I did with Al Rogers and um, Yvonne Andres was one where we actually, you've heard of Aristosthenes? He was the Greek guy that figured out how the circumference of the earth by taking a look at the uh, length of, of shadows at the same time in different places. And so what they did is, th- I mean, this is in 1984, we'll say. And so what happened was that they, um, uh, we actually had students all over the, the country who at 12 o'clock on a certain, or at a, a certain time. I did this. W- were you part of this? I was part of that with my kids. Yes. Really? Oh, that Fantas- is so funny. And where were you? Where were you? I was in Oakland. Okay. Well, I was I was in in uh, down in in East LA, and so what we did is we all measured our, our our sticks, and then we sent it in, and it went into the spreadsheet, and then they figured it out. Now the problem was I screwed up the <laughs> I goofed up the um, the time zone, so they had to throw mine out. Oh. But, but no, but that's okay. Nobody knew that except you and me, and the rest of the world now, I guess. <laughs> but uh, and so they had to throw mine out. But the thing was that this was an opportunity where I had students who were connecting. Um, with other people all over the world or all over the nation. And actually, we also did something where we played Santa Claus with kids in San Jose, where they would send an email to Santa Claus. We'd take a look at it. We'd write a a response to it and send it back to them. So once again, now they were dealing with kids up up in in the Bay Area. 
Well, see, I didn't do that one, but I do know about that one because I, I've known Alan and Yvonne. You know, they're just amazing. Forever. Yeah. Forever. Well, remember Fred Mail? Fred, well, I did Fred Mail. Gosh, Me I'm, too. Gosh, I, 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 was a, I was a web developer for a website um, organizer for that. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. No, I didn't do any of that. I just used mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was great. But the problem was that you'd, you'd, you'd leave a, a message and it would take three days for a message to go from Glendora to Washington, D.C. But but it still worked, you know? Well, I just remember my modem going, you know, <laughs> taking forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and setting you never, that up. You can never forget that tone. Oh, it was, yeah, you're doing better tone than I did. But, but the whole thing thing is, is it's evolved so much that everything is so, even though it may seem easy, still people have trouble with it and they need help. So I love that you're doing, I mean, you're a professor. I know that you're doing all these wonderful things for your students, but I really want to talk about the global collaboration since you brought that up. Cause that, that to me, cause I'm involved with the UN goals and but you do, you've done so much with it. I want you just to share and tell what you've been doing. Okay. Um, when I first moved out here 27 years ago, I was the instructional technology coordinator for Price Laboratory School. And interesting thing, uh, 27 years, that would be like the early 90s. And we didn't have the web then, or it was just now then beginning. And so what I did was I was using CompuServe to connect with other people and find out about that. One of the, the, the very first things I did there was I was um, looking through CompuServe, and I found a uh, high school teacher in Japan who wanted to connect with some high school students here in the U.S. And the reason was because an exchange student had come to the U.S. and um, had been shot and you know they killed actually and the students over there didn't understand why we had guns over here and so what they wanted to do is they wanted to talk to students over here and uh what what is it actually that um you know why do you have guns and of course our students are saying well we have guns because it's our right but so what we would do is that they would write a letter and it would, I would take it and I would download, I had it on my Mac, I would download it and print it out. And then I would take it into this 11th grade high school classroom and they would read it and then they would answer it using their Apple IIe's and, and write all that stuff up. I would then take it, transfer it into my Mac and send it back. And we got a real interesting discussion going. In fact, I've got an art, a, a chapter that I wrote on that in the book and it was a really interesting discussion where they were, you know, they were learning about the whole culture and perceptions of different countries. And, you know, I think both groups uh, learned a lot. I had another process where we were working with third graders and they were communicating with kids down in, in South Africa. And this was really interesting because, you know, we were communicating, we were talking about our animals and they were talking, we were talking about our our dogs and cats and cows and and pigs. And they were talking about their lions and tigers and, you know, and and the boa constrictors and stuff that they had down there, as well as cats and dogs. But um, it went dark for about three weeks. And, you know, we were really concerned what happened. And then pretty soon they sent us a note back. And uh, they said, well, we're really sorry, but one of the things we're, we're trying to, to pass down here is uh, a bill against apartheid. The, this was a situation where we were working with kids and teachers, primarily teachers, who were going out and fighting against apartheid. And this is something we saw in real life. 
Wow. I mean, see, when you open the your classroom to the world, it's like what you find out is is it, it you have no idea because we don't hear those things here. And that's the whole idea. The idea of global collaboration is where you're communicating and connecting with um we'll put it at the at the uh, learn at the school level but where what you're doing is you're communicating with others in other cities states nations continents and uh, of course you you run into little things like time zones and stuff like that that can get to be a problem but the idea is working out systems where you're working with other people you run into problems um I've got a, a a posting on my on my um on drzreflex.com my blog and I'm talking about the you know the eight steps for successful global collaboration and one of the things that's, that's really important is that you know you need to start out you need to identify what kind of project you're going to do uh, where you're going to go with it you need to prepare yourself you need to prepare your students uh and you know there's a whole you want to get into the collaborating process and uh, and then you there's there's a whole process that you go through, and often because of differences in the situations and the cultures and things like that, things fall apart. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is that when you're learning about other people, you have this communication. I try to get my students who are um, future teachers, and, and also the ones that I, I teach at both the undergraduate and the, and the master's level. And so what I try to do is I try to give them a, uh, an experience, a positive experience of global collaboration where they're connecting with other students so they can use it with their students. Because what we're doing is we're building global citizens. And we have to because, I mean, the world is a global society. It doesn't matter what people say. It is a global society. We rely on each other. We have to be able to communicate with each other. And we have to understand that everyone has their own perspective. I had the opportunity to to live and teach as a visiting professor for a whole year in Malaysia. Oh. And when I was in Malaysia, I mean, I had an opportunity. I mean, I was living in a Muslim country, which was completely different. And it was interesting because there were things that they did down there that didn't make any sense to me. And I thought, well, that isn't how we do it in the U.S. And then I realized... Well, they do it here that way because it works here, because that's what it is. We had geckos that were climbing all over the walls, but they were cleaning up all, all the insects. Um, just the ways in which we communicated with each other. There were customs that you that you learned. And I've never met nicer people in my whole life. You know, and it was it, so it was an experience where I had a chance to go over there and do that. I've also had the a, opportunity to go to Jordan and work there for a week and work with other teachers. And we were talking about using technology in there. But so the idea is that it's really important for us to help bring communication between our students and even ourselves and others so that we can build that bond. Oh, see. I just learned a whole bunch about you. I didn't know, and I've known you for so long. And and you're so right. Um, taking that time, and it would be great if kids had opportunities to, if they can't go to these countries, at least connect to them and mm-hmm. learn, especially areas. I mean, when you said that about South Africa during the apartheid what an experience for those kids. Oh. They'll always remember it, always remember it. Well, and, uh, you know, there were eight-year-olds, so I don't know that they fully understood it. Oh, I thought they were older. No. That's... No, they were eight-year-olds. They were th- third graders. And so they, I don't know that they fully understood it, but the teacher sure did. And, that you know, that was, that was a serious, serious situation there. 
Wow. Well, you're doing some really amazing work around global collaboration. What is this Right Our World? I think that sounds so exciting. Write Our World, that's W-R-I-T-E, because we're talking about students telling stories about themselves. And so this was started in 2014 by Julie Carey. And it was interesting because she was working on a, a project, I think it was in Guatemala. And she was taking a look at students and how they were working in two languages. And she thought, wouldn't it be great if they could actually write about something that's important to them in both languages. And so she also learned about ebooks. And um, what she came up with was this idea that the students would take an important instance or important thing in their life, such as when they, you know, what, what they've done, uh, things that they like to do. They like to do music. One person did one where it's all about art. And what they do is that they'll write about it in English, you know, uh, usually with a pen or pencil. And then they'll put it into Book Creator, which is the ebook maker, and then they will actually record themselves reading it. Then, oh, and also it's illustrated. It may be illustrated with videos and, and, and pic photos, but all, usually it's done by hand. And then they also take it, and it's, we, either they do it or we have a translator translate it into their native language. And it's translated into their native language, and it's all uh, in written writing. It's also read there. And so what we end up with is we end up with a multilingual, multimedia ebook that talks about the important things that are happening. We're, we're, giving, we're giving kids a, a voice that they didn't have before. And we've developed a library of about 183 books in 29 different languages. And um, I think we have something like 427 different authors you know, that have worked on this. It's a, it's a, unfortunately, it's, it's an unsung miracle. You know, it's, it's something that I think people really need to pay attention to. And um, the beauty is that we're, we're, we're working in schools and, and there's a whole process. Uh, if you go to writeourworld.org, that's .org, you can see that we have a whole number of processes to how you can use this in your curriculum. Uh, it's very powerful with the, the bilingual schools. And also, by the way, like I said, it was done 29 different languages, but I think it's probably about 13 different countries. Oh, that's amazing. Um, we definitely have to write about it and maybe have you write another post just on that. Because, we can do that. Yeah, because I think that um, just putting up some examples would be really nice. And I, that doesn't belong in here because it would be really good to point people to that. You know, I didn't even know about it. And I know a lot of programs and projects that are going on, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Well, we'll, we'll have to talk later on and see if, if we can come up with some ideas that we can work together on things. Oh, I would love it. And then you brought up something else with, before we started talking about the Rube Goldberg. Yeah, tell, tell a little bit about that, too, because that's Okay, cool. a couple of years ago, I, you know, I, I was thinking that I was being too much in the ivory towers, so I went out to a school and I, I wanted to... Um, work with some, some kids. And, and, and we actually had a, a, a graduate there from our uh, instructional technology program, which, by the way, is a terrific master's program here at the University of Northern Iowa, completely online. Two years, you'll love it. But um, Let's put a link to that. Yeah, we'll put a link to that as well. And, and so, but so we, um, 
I was talking with with this fifth grade teacher, and uh, he said, "Well, come and we'll, we'll see what we can come up with." You may have heard of these things. I think they call them like J semesters or something like that, where they take a week and and basically do this immersion process, where they you know they 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 spend two or three hours a day working on something that they they want to to actually explore for a week. You know, the kids each t- pick the one that they like, and um and that's that's a big thing here in Iowa. I, I was really very progressive when it comes to, to education. I, I was sitting in this meeting with everybody, and they were trying to figure out what are some things we could do. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to do something with Rube Goldberg. They thought about it for a second. They said, that sounds pretty cool. Now, I had no idea what this was going to be. But um, so I, I kind of started working on it. And um, I had a week in which I was going to be working with students. And I had about 20 students who came in. And what they did is they kind of broke into their own own groups, and I challenged them to uh, to figure out some way to take this for me to get this ball over into a, a wastebasket, and then um, we carried that forth. And we, and we had a whole lot whole lot of different. It, it was interesting. I was trying to figure out what kind of goodies I should have in there for them to use, and usually, and it just turned out to be anything you can find, you know, in, in, in a junk or whatever, you know, just stuff there so they could use that for the, the um, Rube Goldbergs. And so we ended up with three different groups. And uh, one group was, they, they actually ended up doing things that in, involved robotics. And they identified that what they wanted to do is they wanted to dip a, um, a chip into a, a, a bowl of salsa. And with their with their their robotic arm, they couldn't move it up and down. So what did they do? You've heard about if you can't take the mountain to Mohammed, you take Mohammed to the mountain, right? Well, so what they did was they had something that would grab the chip, take it over, and they actually had a fulcrum where a ball went all the way through all these things. It went down and hit one end of the fulcrum and it brought a bowl of, of chili up onto the chip. Oh, my gosh. So they, they, they actually dipped the, the bowl rather than the chip. <laughs> but, I mean, these, these are the kinds of innovations we had. And, and there was just – I've, I've written an article on that, uh, a, a chapter on that. We'll put a link to that. But it's just the whole innovation, and we had students at all different levels, and just their, their realization of what they did. I mean, it, and the things that it prompted, it, it actually prompted a father, his father, and the son all getting together and spending a weekend creating a, a Rube Goldberg um, gadget that was at home that took up a whole room. It was just, it, the kinds of things they were doing was exciting. And the whole idea was they were, we were nurturing innovation through invention. And, and the other side of that was that every day they would blog about it, and we actually had this completely aligned with standards. And so they were blogging about what they were doing, they were designing things, all these things were fitting into what it takes to have an exciting and uh, immersing um, education. We definitely are going to talk more about that because it's something that I, I'm really interested in. I look at any way to get people curious and play together and innovate together and then come up with some really exciting things that bring them joy too, because learning is joyful. So, gosh, there's so much to talk about and I'm running out of time. I don't want to run out of time because well, we I, could have a part two if you want. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to have you come back, but I do want to talk about you're very much involved with the sustainable development goals uh, and you're on, and you've been doing that and working with the global, um, collaboration network right and well and actually i, I was um the president of the isti global collaboration pln for a year and I, I did some things with the global collaboration uh the sustainable development goals 
before then. But since then, I've done some things. I did a project with Eva Brown, um, Dr. Eva Brown, who's up at the uh, Red Rock College in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And um, my, my class down here and her class up there, they're both teacher preparation classes, decided that what we were going to do was we were going to do a project that was going to last a couple weeks. And the idea was that we, we broke them into groups. And these were collaborative groups where there were two people from up there and two people from down here in a single group. So what they had to do is they had to use things like WhatsApp and, and all these other, you know, Zoom or whatever, so they could communicate and, and find ways in which they would connect. And, 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 they would, and they were they identified a specific goal, and then based upon that goal, they would go out and see what they could find out and, and find out if there were differences and similarities between the things that they were doing this in Canada versus what we have here in the U.S. Now, many times people think, oh, there's no, not much difference between Canada and here. And the answer is that's not true. Um, and what we had is we had one group that, that, uh, looked, that used the sustainability goal, and they actually interviewed um, the sustainability vice president up there and the sustainability vice president here at the UNI, and they compar- did comparisons of that. We had another one which was taking a look at bicycles, you know, and having uh, something about uh, clean transportation. And so they did um, research up there, and apparently they, they have a whole uh, system of, you know, a shop and all these sorts of things to support cycling up at their uh, school. And then down here we have a co-op, uh, bicycling co-op. And so they did interviews there, and they even came up with a video called Butts on Bikes, which they, they shared. Um, we had all these different things, and, and the whole idea was that they were, they were either supposed to create, you know, do some investigation and create something that students would do when they were doing this kind of investigation, or they would do something where they're creating a lesson plan where that, that would be used for teachers so they could help guide them. In one case, and the whole idea was that they'd go out, and there was actually a whole series of um, PBL steps that are that are used in the curriculum in in uh, Canada that we used, and um, the idea was we had them connecting with experts. Uh, when we had one group that was wor- dealing with water pollution, they connected with somebody who was an expert on this in, in Hawaii, and got feedback from that person. It was something that was. Then um, there were there were places that fell apart. In fact, the, my my eight points of things to do is pretty much a. Um, let me tell you about all the things I did wrong and what I've learned. You know, these are the lessons <laughs> I've learned, and I still haven't got them all. But um, we're hoping that things will get better as we go along. Oh no, this is wonderful, and you're going to be doing more because I know you. And um, I can, only... can I point out one other thing with the the, uh, the global goals? Sure. Uh, you know who Thomas the Train is? Yes. Okay, Thomas the Train. Now I got to tell you that Thomas the Train visits Iowa uh, once a year for two weeks in Boone, Iowa, which is the center of, of railroads here in, in Iowa. And so he comes in. Uh, you remember those grandkids I told you about? Oh yeah, you probably yeah, brought okay. them there, well, right? I, okay, so I got those grandkids, and we take them over to Thomas the Train every year. And I was in a, a place where we were playing around, and they were handing out these stickers. Now, but take a look at it. You see Thomas in there, and I looked at it, and I said, those colors look familiar. Okay, wait a minute. Let me tell everybody what they are. Okay. Well, how about this? You put the, you take a picture of it, and we'll put them up on the... I will. But what I want to point out is that it says Global Citizen on the front. Uh-huh. And then on the back, it showed that there is a website, which is all aboard for Global Goals. 
Oh, and wow. if you go there, Thomas the Train, they've picked like six or seven different goals. And they're talking about, I mean, the whole idea is that this is something, Thomas the Train is aimed at kids from three to seven. Yeah. And Start this early. is something, or, or older. And this is something where they're really integrating it into the system. The important thing about global goals is it gives meaning to what we're doing. I have a um, a class that I teach, which is our uh, educational technology and design. And it's something I do with undergraduates, future teachers. And it used to be that we would have them do a thematic unit, and they would pick something like the um, the rainforest, which is an interesting one. You can talk about the four canopies and all that sort of thing. But this time what we did is we, we suggested you identify a global goal first and then fit, pick a topic that's going to fit into that. So as I work with them, and, and we don't, we, we actually have it so we help mold what they're doing, you know, and we give them feedback and such. So we actually had a situation where may, maybe if you're, if you're interested in, in the rainforest, I had students that would have rainforest and they'd talk about the things that they would be talking about with the rainforest. And they might be talking about endangered species. They might talk about deforestation and that sort of thing. So what I suggested was, you know what, it's nice to learn about that, but let's take a look at something that's proactive. And so what they did is they changed their topic to something where they're looking at deforestation. I mean, I read the other day that, believe it or not, we're losing 160 acres per minute That's right. on this planet. You know, and, and also, um, you know, we, we talk about endangered species. The idea here is that you have active learning. It isn't just about, you know, the, the canopy and all those different parts. It's about what can I do to help save the world? And I think we're at a point right now where that's essential. Well, I I like that you pulled that together and sa- said that. Um, I'm not going to have time to really talk about your magic. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. But but I will say, when I learned that you loved magic, I said, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you're going to be doing magic for us somewhere. <laughs> I will. I, I've actually been doing it since I was 11 years old. Yeah. And when a librarian said, hey, when I was checking out six books, she said, are you a magician? I said, sure. And, uh, and, I, and when I was 21, I, um, I auditioned at the Magic Castle in Hollywood and became a regular magician, a regular member. And I've been a member there since I was 21. Problem is that I don't get out to L.A. that much. So I look for, I, I have friends that I give passes to so they can get into the Magic Castle. I was there. You, I didn't get oh, a pass from you. <laughs> I'll get you one next time. No okay. problem about that. And, I, you know, it's something I've kind of had on the back burner for a long time. But I'm getting back into it. I'm joining Magic Clubs and that sort of thing and having a great time. Well, you, you know, the magic of you is that you are always that young at heart. You, you Knowing that you built your own tree house and lived in it and, and that you constantly are looking for new ways to collaborate and come up with Rube Goldberg machines and things like that. Should we tell them that I ride my bike across Iowa every, every, every year for the last 18 years? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Oh, it's something called RAGBRAI, the Register's Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. And I get together with 20,000 of my best friends I haven't met yet and our team Flamingo. And we wear pink feather boas and ride our, ourselves across Iowa and meet a lot of great people. Oh, well, I need a picture of you in the boa. <laughs> I got it. In okay. fact, there's even a, there's even a link on, that, on, on, the, uh, on the website that we had there to uh, teamflamingo.org. Team Flamingo. Well, I'm definitely going to see you as a flamingo. And, uh, oh my gosh, I, this was wonderful. Well, thank you. This, this has been really an honor to be part of this. 
Oh, Lee, you know what? You are more than I ever knew. I mean, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to, you know, we even put the blog post together with all the pictures and everything because it just, I can't wait. So thank you so much for being on my, you know, podcast with me today. Thank you, Barb. It's, it's been an honor to have you as a friend all these years. And I, I really, I really prize your, your friendship and, and your support. And so do I. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Dr. Z, Lee Zeitz. Make sure you check out the complimentary blog post about Lee and Lee's story that we put up on the blog post that has resources and links. Please subscribe to my podcast. We welcome your review and to share out the post with the podcast. You can also subscribe to my website, barbarabray.net, to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.